Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm afraid to say that regular co-host Dilly is out this week. So joining me in the co-host hot seat is freelance writer and journalist Aaron Gash Burnett to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Aaron has written for The Times, The New Statesman, The Spectator, The Local, and a lot more. He can also be heard chatting about German culture and politics on the Germany in Focus podcast for the local Germany. Well, hey, it comes out every Friday, and you can check it out on thelocal.de. So, how are you, Aaron? What an introduction. Uh, I'm great. Thanks, Nick. Um, Dilly, I hope you're feeling better soon. In the meantime, I hope I can carry the torch this week. And do you proud? Uh, happy to fill in, and thanks for having me. Oh yeah, well, I think we're pretty lucky to get hold of you this week as you're you're quite busy at the moment because you're moderating the I Am Germany Roku account on Twitter, which is at Germany underscore I Am. Uh, is it since Sunday night you've been doing it? Sunday at 6 p.m. until the next Sunday at 6 p.m. every week. I always love it because it'll come up on my feed and the person who was tweeting before is, uh, is obviously left and the, the image has been replaced, but the tweets are still there. And I'm like, wait, it's, what's happened? <laughs> Every week I'm like having some sort of disorientated old man moment. Well, yeah, because, you know, you, you change the, you know, sometimes the creators, their gender changes or their location in Germany <laughs> exactly. changes. And if you read the yeah. old ones, you, you can be like, oh, who is, <laughs> what's going on here? But then you realize what's happening. Exactly. Um, for those of you who don't know this account, uh, as I said, it's on Twitter. And each week it's hosted by a new person who lives in Germany. And it's often like a really nice sort of window into a person's experience of life here. I don't think, if they had, I've had a few German people on, but it's mostly migrants to Germany who do the account, right? Yeah, a lot. A, a lot of the time, yes. Although, I mean, to be fair as well, if, you know, and if we talk about people who've come to Germany, a lot of the people who also do it have been here a long time. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Some some of them are even Germans now, um, mm -hmm. having naturalized, for example. So you get you get all sorts of people, which is part of the reason I really like it. It's been really mm -hmm. fun so far. Um, shout out, by the way, to anyone in the I Am Germany community listening at the moment. So as you have gathered, a different person does it every week. Mm -hmm. In the last couple of weeks, we've had people do it from Baden-Württemberg, from Munich, mm -hmm. from Dresden. This week, it's my turn to give it a whirl from Die Hauptstadt. And we've talked about foods that remind people of home, people's favorite border points with the nine countries. Yes, nine uh, that border Germany. Can you name them all, Nick? Without Google, I, I, you know, I dropped out of geography at, at A level. So, um, well, I'm just, no. I'm just trying to pre prep you up for the next time you have a quiz night that you have to win or something. Oh, mate, honestly, my idea of hell is a pub quiz. Oh, okay, well, there, there you go. I, I, I happen to love them, but my, my, my favorite thing uh, that we've uh, talked about on I Am Germany this week, though, is mm. talking about my German grandparents, actually, who came to Canada in the mid '50s on a ship mm -hmm. called the Rosa Sun. And there's mm -hmm. actually, um, and I did not know this before. I found this out while curating the account. There's actually a museum of emigration studying. Uh, people who've left Germany for other countries. Of course, my grandparents would be among these people. And it's in it's in Bremerhaven. So it's now on my bucket list to to go out there mm. and, and check it out, check it out, the the history of the of the ship, the Arosa Sun. And we've also had some other people who've shared some of their own German heritage and family history. I mean, two families uh, left Germany after false accusations from the authorities. 
interesting how that became a common thread that linked to people who were following the account. Uh, we've had people who had Jewish ancestors who applied mm-hmm. to restore their right to German citizenship. Uh, we, we really just have so much rich history and connection to to Germany from the community here who's you know migrated, uh, I guess, back to Germany in some cases, as I have done. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I saw a photo, maybe you posted yesterday, and it was, I think your grandparents dressed in sort of cowboy outfits i think it was cowboy yeah hats and, yeah 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 i love that picture there was something very lovely in 70s about that picture <laughs> well um it, no that is an iconic family photo um it is uh, a picture of the two of them decked out in uh, cowboy gear for the calgary stampede which is of mm-hmm. course a you know the world's largest rodeo it uh takes place every year in calgary my hometown uh, which is of course where they went They sailed to Montreal and then took a train for four days, um, ended up in Calgary. Wow. And that picture is from 1969, which, as it turns out, is the same year they became Canadian citizens. Ah, so they really invested then. They were like, we're going to become Canadian. Let's get the cowboys. Yeah, they, they went full out in. I mean, how much more Canadian do you get than, you know, cowboys and pancakes at Stampede? Oh, that is very nice. Is this, I mean, is it like mm-hmm. a like a, a bull run? Uh, like, oh, is it, I mean, to say stampede, is it kind of, is it just... It's a rodeo, Nick. Yeah, no, that's what my assumption <laughs> was, that it was quite... Honestly, right, I, t- I swear to God, if, if the producer keeps rolling his eyes, he's going to have some serious problems with his optician later in the week. <laughs> no, you have, a lot of ro- you have a lot of rodeo events that happen there. Yeah. My personal favorite, you have fairgrounds, you have a lot of people drinking. Mm-hmm. It's a city that works hard, but for 10 days, plenty of people drink. And my favorite is the chuck wagon races, and people get mm-hmm. dressed up, and Gram and Grandpa, uh, Omen Dopagash certainly uh, got in on the fun then. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's... Uh... That's definitely sort of acclimatizing. I guess the equivalent would be something like Oktoberfest seems not quite as... Oktoberfest as... would be an all right equivalent. Mm. That's that's mm. your version. Ours is basically Berlin Gay Pride. But, it's, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's a, you know, go to those big events that help you to acclimatize, the ones that attract hundreds of thousands or millions. I've got I, I to say I'd rather be at Gay Pride than Oktoberfest, to be perfectly frank. Well, you can bring your lederhosen up here if you want. I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure many people will not complain, Nick. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you've not seen my legs yet. Uh, so we'll see. No, I mean, yeah, it, I think it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's because Oktoberfest is kind of around the corner that it becomes a bit passe, whereas as Berlin is the exotic north, right? So yes, maybe that's what it maybe. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always loved the, the I Am Germany account, but I've always, and people have said, oh, like, Nick, you should do it. And I'm, it terrifies me, the whole idea of doing it, simply because I'm like, what if I get to a sort of Wednesday and I run out of things to talk about? <laughs> like, is this something that you, that you were concerned about? Did you prepare a lot beforehand or is it all kind of just off the cuff kind of, oh, this is what I'm doing on my day to day or? No, I, I have a, so I, I allow uh, inspiration to kind of come to me sometimes, including I'm sure from our magical moments together right now. But I do actually, very methodically, I was taught by my German grandparents very well, I do actually have a list of topics I would like to cover, and I budget about two a day. Then if something just kind of randomly comes up that inspires mm. me, then I'll just, I'll add it in. But I do have mm. a, I do have a bit of a plan for y'all. Let me put it that way. All right. I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> you shouldn't be. I'm sure you're fine. <laughs> uh yeah yeah you know like people love food tweets you know like we had one today too uh when i was tweeting about 
the maple syrup that I keep in my cupboard. The food always goes sort of as a topic goes down very well on social media. My theory has always been that food's a popular kind of topic to talk about within culture because it's something that everybody has access to, everyone has experience of. Whereas if you're talking about things like politeness or mm-hmm. sort of behavioral concept, it's much harder to have a discussion like that. Well, I mean, people can have benign opinions about food or like strong opinions about food and it's okay. But <laughs> um, opinions about politeness might get, be a bit more controversial, I suppose. Well, we'll see if we can get into that further down down the line. Oh, I'm um, sure we can. In fact, why don't we do it now? Because I've got some uh, important admin to sort out before we go any further with the podcast because uh, obviously mm-hmm. Aaron you are new to the show and uh, as a way of welcome to the podcast I thought of the most German thing we could do and obviously that would be giving you a highly structured set of icebreakers uh, which may seem frivolous but will actually tell us everything we could possibly need to know about you. Bring it on, what you got? This being Germany, I have to assume that you've prepared appropriately. A little bit. Uh, have you got your ID with you? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> I have my personal face already. Excellent. Okay, you are ready, uh, I assume, then, for question one. Yeah. Uh, which relates, of course, to your, your country of birth. You were born in Canada, and as a Canadian, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the word Ahorn, which is the German word for maple? Does it sound weird to you? Because it's always caused me a certain degree of dissonance. Uh, it kind of reminds me of acorn, and it conjures exactly. up images of Eichhörnchen whenever I hear it. It's it's not my favorite German word, I have to admit. But stereotypically, I do always have a bottle of you know Ahorn syrup mm. in my house. I glaze my salmon with it, which is you know, very stereotypically Canadian as well. Um, that feels like a profi move that. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't knock it till you've tried it. I've had tons of guests at the house, like just love it. But um, let's say uh, Ahorn Reucherlachs, if you like, you know, a special Canadian dish, but yeah, it's, it's not my favorite word. I do have to say. Yeah. It is the acorn, ahorn kind of question. The other problem yeah. was, I think when I first came here, it was just ahorn because uh, I didn't know how to speak German. So it's kind of like, <laughs> it was one of those things, those jokes that I made initially at the start of, uh, of living here that hasn't helped in any way, shape or form because every time I see the word, my brain instantly goes ahorn and doesn't go ahorn. Yeah, you remember it. Yeah. And I'm slightly terrified that I'll be having a conversation and I'll say it like that and that'll be the end of the conversation. So, um, <laughs> you'll yeah. be you'll be cancelled for your ahorn. It wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time I was cancelled because of my awful German. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to question two. You currently live in Berlin, as you mentioned. Yeah. But what other part of Germany would you consider moving to if you had the chance? <laughs> Such a hard question to answer. I love visiting many parts of Germany mm-hmm. and I've been to many, many. Um, I still have a few on my bucket list, um, but mm-hmm. I absolutely love Berlin. And it's hard for me to imagine living somewhere else in Germany, if I'm honest. Berlin is a huge city, almost four million people. It's very international as well as German at the same time. And it has so much to offer for events, for culture, for nightlife, mm-hmm. for art, best film festival in the world. It's also one of the gayest cities in the world with what may be, well, the world's oldest gay village. Nolendorfplatz dates back to the cabaret, anything goes eras of the 1920s. Of course, Christopher Isherwood, who wrote Cabaret, mm-hmm. they have a plaque outside his old apartment where he lived 
uh, at the time saying that, you know, he lived here and it was, you know, from these crazy times um, that he wrote Cabaret about Sally Bowles and the, and the Kit Kat mm-hmm. Club. You can go to a bar called Sally Bowles. I mean, they really, they really go all in with it. Check any article ranking of sort of the most LGBT friendly cities in the world and Berlin will appear right near to or at uh, the very top of the list. It really has been become home for so many reasons. Uh, ich bin ein Berliner. Oh God, we're not going to start the donut debate, are we? Um. No, we're not going to start that debate. I don't. I don't recognize this debate. This debate has no power here. Okay, well, we might not discuss the the terminology or the correct terminology for a uh, crapfen donut. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> you can have crapfen because a Berliner is a Berliner. A Berliner is a person of Berlin. You can have crapfen. It's easier okay, to distinguish, okay. and then people can start making that silly joke. Uh, but I mean, it's one of the three jokes in Germany that we're actually allowed to make. So um, okay, all right. If we get rid of that, we only have two more jokes left. I suppose. I suppose we have to keep it. <laughs> um, but I will ask you about baked goods with question three, which is the best German cake? Ooh, um, oh my gosh, is Apfelkuchen. Nothing will ever come close. Oh, but the other wow. is Kalterhund. Right. Yeah, Kalterhund, these are butter biscuits layered with chocolate. So you have like biscuit, chocolate layer, biscuit, chocolate layer, biscuit, chocolate layer, and you can like make whole slices of this. It is absolutely not the thing that you want to be eating a lot of when you're trying to watch your boyish figure. <laughs> Don't do it. There's uh, one woman in Berlin who I see at the Weihnachtsmarkt every year, uh, mm-hmm. and she makes all kinds of flavored Kalterhund. So this is like the one time of year where I really allow myself to go a little bit nuts with Kaltehund purchases. Mm. She has rum chocolate uh, flavors. She has white chocolate. She has chili flavored chocolate. You name it, she has it. And so I pick up a bunch every year and, you know, I just resign myself to going to the gym in January with all of the people who will break their New Year's resolutions a month later mm. and just suffering it out accordingly for the Kaltehund that I get every year. Yeah, I mean, December very much is the same for me, where it's like all rules of nutrition go out the window. Yeah, for... all rules are off, yeah. Indeed. But Kaltehund, that is a solid choice. Yeah, it's. I, I love it. I love it. I definitely love it. Okay, moving on to the uh, more controversial topics. Question four, on a scale of one to ten... How polite or impolite are Germans? This is an absolutely impossible question. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it really is, and and th- there's 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 a reason there's a reason for this. And when I give you this reason, I am going to dunk mm-hmm. a bit on my my fellow Berliners here. Um, you know, fair fair game. How rude or polite a German is, uh, really, in my experience, depends on where you encounter them you know, where they're from, you know, I don't necessarily always believe that there's, you know, polite, you know, that, you know, Germans are genuinely polite or impolite or whatever. Berliners have a reputation, Berliners in particular, have a reputation earned, in my view, for being some of the rudest people in Germany. <laughs> but we had a survey come out recently from a market research firm called Censuswide, and they surveyed mm. their own locals in, I think, 20 different cities in Germany, on everything from, you know, on polite versus impolite behavior. So they include everything in here from tipping. Do these people tip to do they jump the line? 
at <laughs> bars or clubs or events or anything? Or just are they generally just really rude and snarky? Do they interrupt you? Do they like, are they not nice on public transport? Do they not offer their seats? You know, the, uh, um, those kinds of things. And according to their results, which they kind of aggregate together in some methodology that I am sure I am not qualified to, to comment on, we uh, find that most cities in Anave, North Rhine-Westphalia, are among the most polite in the country. So particularly Bochum and Dusseldorf uh, and Bonn, I believe. There are some exceptions, though. You know, Essen is apparently the worst. Interesting. And along with Cologne. <laughs> Cologne has a reputation for being an impolite city, according to this survey. Uh, Bremen has the reputation of being a polite city. Uh, for impolite mm. ones, yeah, Munich and Berlin, basically considered to be the same in terms of levels of impoliteness. Like, I think they were like, mm. you know, less than a hundredth of a percentage point from each other in this methodology. Mm. <laughs> but it turns out not the worst in the country. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, Munich's got a different kind of, like, it's a, the impoliteness that you see in Munich, I would more readily compare to sort of British impoliteness. Right. It's got like a historical kind of antiquated element to it. It's not brusque. It's like kind of um, what would be the right the kind of the, it's it's got moving parts to it. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you, you have to really sort of dig deep to get to a lot of the sort of the shit they're laying on you. Mm -hmm. Whereas my experience of Berlin was like very in your face in politeness yeah it's a little bit more yeah. direct and sort of right right in front of you i will say though that berlin has taught me to like stand up for myself in certain occasions um mm -hmm. maybe more than when i when i first arrived so i mean to use one example i remember uh going into the the legendary berlin Bürgeramt once <laughs> you are technically of course supposed to register your new uh, Wohnung, your new your new place where you live uh, within two weeks in Germany, and at the Berlin Bürgeramt you can't typically get an appointment for at least two months. Uh, you, the waiting list is insanely long, and I remember going in there years ago um, with my documents, and she said, "You know that you're supposed to register within two weeks, and that's the rule." It had been, of course, two months, and I just looked at her and I said, "When was the last time you ever had to make an appointment in the system?" I would venture to guess it's been a while. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> and, and I just felt so empowered doing that. I just mm -hmm. walked out of there with a bit more spring in my step. I was like, mm -hmm. and you know, weirdly, I think she got it. <laughs> I think she just mm -hmm. looked at me. She's like, okay, fair. <laughs> I feel mm -hmm. like Berlin is kind of asking you to, to sometimes punch back a little. And if you do, mm -hmm. you know, you're good. You've, you've made it there. If you kind of react with a similar level of directness, or I don't want to say politeness because it's not about politeness; it's, it's just about the sort of the, the the structure of your speech. But if you sort of as as direct as a Beamter is with you, mm -hmm. there is like a grudging level of respect. I found that when I went through the citizenship process, that yeah. whenever I got a shitty response and I replied tersely, there was kind of like an acknowledgement that. Yeah, this was the correct dance to have done, you know? Like, mm -hmm. if I had gone, okay, I'm sorry, there would have been, like, a lack of respect or, or even less respect afforded to me. It's like part of your integration test. <laughs> it really is, mm -hmm. it really is. Um, to finish off this important and vital piece of admin that I've started, question five, 
What are your feelings about cheese and stolen? I'm going to disappoint you here, Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> like, have you tried it though? Should I find the door now? Oh yes, of course I have. But <laughs> it's yeah, it's just not my favorite. That's all I can. Ask. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how much of a fan I am, and how much it's been bestowed upon me the mantle of cheese and stolen. I guess apologist. <laughs> Um, or a cheese and stolen champion yeah yeah okay we'll go with champion uh-huh, it sounds yeah. sounds a lot better i'm sure some people would call me an apologist uh-huh. um but yeah i mean i like it i do feel like i've been pigeonholed as the is every every week at least i get someone sort of directing me to uh to some cheese or some stolen so i guess yeah. that's my punishment but um which cheese did you choose out of curiosity i i honestly don't remember i can't i can't tell you it's been a while. Shame. Well, I mean, four correct answers out of five is probably okay. <laughs> we'll take we'll take that ratio. Okay, all right. I hate to disappoint you on that one. Well, we can continue with the podcast since you've passed. It's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll give okay. you uh, marks out of, uh, what was what was this, out of seven. So I would say like, um, no, it'll be six because we're in Germany. So let's say it's a 2.0 at this point. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'll, I'll take that for now. That it should have just said yes to cheese and stolen then. Yeah. <laughs> next time, next time. Yeah. As many listeners may know, the German government has been keen to change the current laws surrounding dual citizenship, potentially making it easier for people to apply for a German passport. Uh, without having to give up their own citizenship from the country of origin. This is all very exciting. Aaron, you've written quite a bit about this recently, even offering readers explainers on what may happen should they receive a German passport. So I'm uh, I'm assuming you're the the expert in the room. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions surrounding this, this quite exciting, as I said, topic. It is. It's definitely one of my favorite stories at the moment, for sure. Is this something that you're planning to do, or are you already a dual citizen or is this something that you've got like a personal stake in yeah i guess in a way um so it's a little bit more indirect for me because i actually am a dual citizen already um Mm -hmm. i was born both german and canadian through sort of the very uh, weird setup uh, under german law uh, that exists uh, if you're born as a german citizen by descent in which case right Another citizenship that you might be born with, you are allowed to keep. But if I was to forever, uh, for example, take a citizenship outside the EU, mm-hmm. under the current law, I would have to still give up being German. Um, it's just that I'm allowed to remain both German and Canadian. Mm-hmm. My grandparents actually had to give up a German citizenship when they became Canadians, which is very right. uh, strange when you think about it, because my mother and I still, by virtue of being in Canada, um, have access to the citizenship that they um, had to give up. Yeah. And uh, for me, it just seems like a very weirdly unjust law that does not mm-hmm. take into account the crazy complexities that we can have mm-hmm. In our identities, especially in in a world like like today's, where uh, I mean, my my grandparents uh, sailed for ten days on a ship to Canada. Uh, uh, that same journey for me is mm-hmm. between twelve and fifteen hours mm-hmm. by plane. And of course, there's instantaneous communication. Uh, they wrote letters that took forever to get home. I talked to my mom multiple times per week. Mm-hmm. It's just an entirely different thing. And then, of course, you know, you have binational couples, mm-hmm. you know, who, who then have children who then have multiple identities and nationalities. Um, the whole 
idea of having a European identity, for example, um, which mm. comes into this. Um, it seems my, my grandparents never ceased to feel German. They never ceased to be seen as German, and yet somehow they, you know, were no longer technically considered Germans, which seems very strange. And a lot of my, I have a lot of friends, um, some of whom have been uh, in Germany for decades, even who have not applied for this simply because, you know, as, as much as they intend to settle in Germany, they've been here for years, they don't intend to, uh, to go back home where they're from necessarily, they, you know, to lose your link with home is just a, an emotional wallop. So, yeah, I suppose there is a, a personal stake in, a, in, in an indirect way, yeah. So you arrived in Germany with German citizenship already set up? Yeah. Or was that something yeah. you did once you got No, I had it already, yeah. I mean, it's wild that they would, the Canadian government would insist your grandparents give up their German citizenship, but then you still have... No, that would be the German government that did that. Really? So the, the German government yeah. actually said, no, you've moved, you wow. It's because okay. of this law. If you are Canadian citizenship law does not restrict mm-hmm. dual citizenship at all. This is one thing I suppose that's not understood that well about the current German uh, restrictions on dual citizenship, as well as the government's effort to liberalize dual citizenship. It is not simply for people who are naturalizing as German in Germany because they've been resident in Germany for, you know, soon to be five years. It is also for Germans who go abroad, you know, maybe they were born in Germany and they go abroad, they are expected to renounce German citizenship to gain another nationality that is outside the EU. And for example, places like the German consulate in Canada regularly do searches of their uh, citizens' names in the databases of the recently naturalized of the country that they are posted to, to find out whether their nationals have become citizens there. And if they have, their German citizenship ends up being revoked. So this is also a law that very much um, is about the other direction as well. Um, German citizens who have gone abroad um, and wish to take nationality abroad while remaining German. It feels like it was like a kind of a knee-jerk reaction to and I mean, I could be wrong here. You can maybe exp- maybe have details on it, but it does feel like it was a knee-jerk reaction to the the, the Gastarbeiter and sort of Italian and and Turkish uh, migrants who came to help rebuild Germany. And it feels like it was sort of like this idea of that the, these ideas of, of of nationhood and nationality only sort of have begun to change now. Whereas in other countries, they were a lot more liberal. Obviously. I'm British as well, so looking at Britain, we've gone completely the opposite direction. We've gone from being quite liberal with our attitudes to nationality and who has citizenship to now being kind of an insane little island of like terrified of 50,000 migrants. Like that's where we are now, whereas Germany seems to be sort of liberalizing, which is a, which is certainly nice for the people who, who, who live here who can now get that opportunity. The question I kind of have rattling around in my head though is like how likely is it that the new law will will actually pass? By my read, this is a very likely law to pass. Mm-hmm. All three government parties, the Social Democrats, the Greens, and the Liberal Free Democrats, want this law to pass. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see the areas of broad agreement uh, stay the same. So all three of these parties agree on a few 
basic fundamental things. Number one, that dual citizenship should be allowed for everyone. You know, uh, of, of course, you have exceptions um, for, for example, EU citizens who want to naturalize as German. That's why so many Brits really rushed. You know, you might be mm-hmm. able to say more about this, Nick, but so many Brits rushed to get German citizenship before Brexit so that they could gain German citizenship while retaining UK mm-hmm. citizenship. The reason why we haven't seen this law come up before now is simply because of opposition from the Christian Democrats. Of course, uh, they were in power for 16 years. Before that, they held enough uh, seats in the Bundesrat, which is Germany's upper legislative chamber, represents the states, where even though there was a dual citizenship proposal on the table in 1999 and 2000, and there was a Social Democrat Green majority for passing this proposal, they were able to veto dual citizenship in the Bundesrat because they had enough votes in the Bundesrat. Now, fast forward to now, we have a vastly different constellation. We have a government that does not include the CDU, and we also have a Bundesrat that does not have enough blocking power from the CDU within it to block this law. So as I see it, the window for passing this could, you know, eventually close. The CDU is once again at the top of nationwide polls. Now, of course, the next election is several years away. So who knows what happens then? But, you know, if the government's going to take this window, it really does, by my read, have to do it now. And mm-hmm. I think it I think it will. Um, we have heard from parliamentarians working on this law that uh, they expect to pass this by July and that the Bundesrat wow. will hopefully pass it Mm-hmm. Uh, right after that. But there are other areas of broad agreement. The number of years that somebody has to be in Germany to become a citizen is going down. So from eight years to five years with the B1 mm-hmm. test and a citizenship test, the really well integrated who can prove a C1 level German will be able to naturalize after three years. Right now, that's six years with a B2. So your waiting time is going down for those guys, but the language requirement is going up. Now, we at The Local have seen this draft law, and we've read through it so that you don't have to. I promise it's not that interesting. <laughs> it's it's really tedious. Uh, a whole bunch of pages in it are like, replace semicolon in this paragraph with like... Wasn't it like know, 87 pages or something? It's like a massive, do- like it's a beast of a document, right? No, it's 39 pages. At Only least, 39, right? Yeah, at least this version is 39 pages. Mm. This is the one that uh, the interior ministry was circulating to the other ministries. The thing here, though, is that there's a lot of things that aren't quite in it yet, that aren't defined. So the waiting mm-hmm. time is defined. The fact that dual citizenship you know, will be allowed is defined. But here's one crucial thing that is not in that draft. And that is simply, when is this going to come into effect? Right? Like, is yeah, it going to come right. into effect right away? Is it going to come into effect, you know, January 1st, 2024, for example, when Germany's sort of infamously efficient bureaucracy, you know, implements all of the, all of the changes it needs to, mm-hmm. to be able to implement this new law and, and, and have the new procedures. We, we, we don't actually know, and I don't think anyone knows that for sure. I mean, my assumption was it would be turn of the year kind of stuff if they managed yeah. to get it through. That's kind of what I would assume too, but we don't actually know. I hate any discussion in Germany about migration because it, it, maybe it's slightly more nuanced than Britain, but not by much. Like it's, 
it seems to be a lot of people who've um, never really had any sort of migrant experience waxing lyrical about what they think makes kind of a, a right for people to claim citizenship. When I watch Lands or when I watch any of the sort of political talk shows, I get a sense that they invite people on who have who have a bureaucratic understanding or a political point to make, but very little experience of the what it's like to go through the process to have to give up a citizenship to any of these sort of points that they never really sort of speak to. So I find the debate a little bit um, irritating. There's a lot of voices I just think that are not, you know, are not getting in hmm. realistically. Yeah. And because I think that I think that if you had more kind of, you know, I guess migration voices in the debate, there, there's a few things that I think you could pick apart really, really, really quickly. The first thing, and I've written about this recently myself, you know, if we go to the Christian Democrats, the Sede'u, we actually spoke to the Sede'u to ask them, uh, and, and here's the thing, we asked them if there were any bits of this law that they supported. So we gave them a bit of an opportunity to, you know, to sort of say, well, you know, we still object to this, but on this aspect, maybe we've updated our thinking. And they did not answer this question. <laughs> this was among like, you know, a few questions we asked them, they did not answer this question. So you can kind of guess that the answer is no. And what they told us was that dual citizenship could provoke loyalitates conflict and so loyalty conflicts. Oh, Which, fuck me. <laughs> but this is, frankly, this is, this is laughable to me because nationals of, of Iran, for example, mm -hmm. which is often um, an adversary of Germany and of uh, German interests, they can't give up Iranian citizenship simply because there is no provision under Iranian law which enables you to do so. So Iranian citizens can naturalize as German and they can be dual citizens because of this, uh, mm -hmm. but citizens of countries that are allied with Germany, like Canada, like the US, like a post-Brexit mm -hmm. UK, for example. I mean, even, even Ukrainians who come here who are not uh, as refugees would, would not be able to avail themselves of dual citizenship, which, which mm -hmm. to me just means that this type of logic just does not hold and, you know, like, you've brought up an interesting bit on kind of how we debate migration. And I think that we are going to see potentially, as this law gets to the Bundestag, which we are expecting this month mm -hmm. um, still, it'll finish government consultations and it'll go to the Bundestag this month. I think a lot of what is missing in the draft law that we have seen, it's not what we see in the draft law that I expect is, is going to be a major point of discussion. I think we'll get those things. But what's not in there is what parliamentarians, I think, are going to debate, including parliamentarians that are a part of the government. So, mm -hmm. for example, the FDP, which is, of course, in government, and whose support will be needed to pass this law, especially without the Sede'u, they have a few caveats uh, that they want. And I imagine that they'll push for these when the law comes to the Bundestag. So first, uh, the FDP supports dual citizenship for the generation that is naturalizing, as well as their children. But it wants grandchildren to have to choose between German nationality and another nationality if they are entitled to another one. So that's one thing. And then the next is that they want only those who can provide for themselves and their families to be eligible for citizenship. So the idea here is that to be eligible to apply for citizenship, you can't have taken out of 
uh, public funds in the previous 24 months before applying, for example. So you can't have had citizen's allowance, you can't have had housing allowance, you can't have received any of those things. Uh, and the the social democrats certainly oppose this. So there's still going to be, I think, some intra-coalition debates and some squabbling about how exactly this all gets implemented. And finally, and here's uh, here's something else, uh, we could see some backlash over this sentence right here. So I'm just reading uh, out here from the draft. Uh, naturalization is out of the question for someone who, quote, shows by his or her behavior that he or she does not accept the equal rights of men and women laid down in the basic law, and that this can include anti-Semitic, racist, xenophobic, or other inhumanely motivated actions incompatible with the human dignity guarantee of the basic law. What we don't know is how they plan to even implement this. So the FTP wants anti-Semitism to be an explicit exclusion criteria, an oath of allegiance uh, may be required, but also perhaps some sort of test. But how do you do a test like that? Mm right? So these are the kinds of questions that uh, are open. And we still have a fairly divided public about this. I mean, slightly more in favor than against, but still divided. It seems an odd thing because they give you in in the citizenship test, like I think it's like a three or four page booklet of banned groups to go through. And you have to declare uh, categorically that you've never been a member of any of these groups and there's terrorist groups mm-hmm. and there's right. uh, banned groups and the Scientology's in there. there's a big thing about Scientology is a big focus as well uh, are you a Scientologist um, or have you been a part of Scientology there's this sort of a look I at- did not actually know that that Scientology was yeah in- yeah it's I mean it's this it's- is something you would know better than than I would interestingly mm-hmm. because you know, you actually have naturalized, you've actually gone through this entire process, and I have not. So mm. someone who, you know, comes from a German family versus someone who actually went through the, the entire mm. process of doing this and understanding, you know, what this means and what's sort of expected of you. So, uh, you know, what else did yeah. you find in there that, w- that you thought was, that kind of stood out to you there? I mean, it was pretty formulaic in the sense that you, there's groups in there you'd expect to see, you know, like ISIS and Al Qaeda and all of that. But right. there's, the, 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 there was just a, a lot of a lot of groups that I'd never really heard of. But anyone that's been considered a banned group or a, a terrorist group over the last probably what seventy or eighty years is definitely in that booklet. Mm-hmm. So that it covers a lot of ground. And then you do actually, it's not an oath of allegiance, but you do have to make a. I guess it's the equivalent of an oath. I can't exactly remember the wording of it, but they definitely required me to read out a kind of promise that I wouldn't do anything horrible to Germany, you know? Um, So there's there's something in there too. But all of these things I find interesting because especially that question that you've raised about about how do you measure kind of loyalty to the country, uh, which seems to be a stumbling block in in the coalition discussions. Because it's so amorphous, it's so intangible like how like i guess the the best way would be were you a member of an anti-semitic group that would seem like legit question to to ask and and furthermore Mm -hmm. to maybe investigate if you if somebody is reformed or whatever to maybe then have to go through a process of explaining what the hell you were doing as part of that group right like it seems like in a country that doesn't like to express national pride overtly a very odd kind of question to ask about national loyalty. Like, what are we loyal to? Like, we're 16 states, right? Like, I feel a lot of affection for Bavaria, but I don't really like their government. 
you know, like or like I feel an affection for other parts of the country, but I don't I don't belong there, maybe, or I don't really feel a strong kind of I like Dresden, but I don't feel like an emotional connection to it. Like I love the majority of, of the places I've been in Germany, but can I express that in a tangible way to go, oh actually I love Germany and I love these places. Do I just answer some questions or do I have to have a special like booklet with stamps on it that I've been to all these different places? I've visited all sixteen states. And you get a free fax machine after you've done it. And here's my copy of the Grundgesetz, you know, which yeah. is like whatever. And to be fair, I think the the Grundgesetz is, you know, the Grundgesetz is an impressive document. And for me, it always strikes oh, me yeah, as definitely. if you compare different countries' constitutions, you know, what is the first thing that appears right at the top of the constitution? You know, you guys in the UK, you guys don't have a written constitution. <laughs> which we only discovered during Brexit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, hang on. So we'll, we'll go with the US and Canadian examples uh, to begin mm-hmm. with. So what I think is interesting, of course, the, the First Amendment in the U.S. covers freedom of speech. Uh, the first uh, part of the Canadian Charter is not, in fact, freedom of speech. It is freedom of thought, uh, which is, mm-hmm. I- is an interesting one. And then expression comes after that. And the first mm. article of the Grundgesetz is human dignity is inviolable and uh, yeah. to respect and defend it is the obligation of all state authority, which, you know, mm-hmm. ob- obviously comes down to from history, but there's something that I just find so um, mm-hmm. incredibly um, beautiful about that statement. There's aspects of it that aren't perfect, as no constitution ever right. is, but it's as close to perfect as I would possibly think of, of a document. And it's not just the document, it's what it brings into, into effect with regards to sort of politics as well like what it stipulates and how they structured politics in a way that ensures that there is a lot of people represented and and it it feels like the as much as the history of germany in the 50s and 60s wasn't as as glowing as maybe people would like to imagine it there was a lot of dark sort of moments but one of the really shining lights through that period is the creation of this constitution you know but again me saying that like, is that tangible? Is that is that going to assuage the the concerns of the FDP? If I'm like, well, I really like the Grundgesetz; it's really nice. And look at this, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan. You know, I've got my seven volumes on the on the bookshelf. You know, well, and this is this is something that we're going to be finding out more about over the next few months as this law makes its way through the the, the Bundestag. Yeah. So there's a lot about this law that we know. Um, I think a lot of it will stay, but there's a lot that that we're going to be finding out. So it's one to watch. So, as you all know by now, I live in Bavaria, while Aaron lives in the fine city of Berlin. Despite both of us living in the same country, we are poles apart, or so the wisdom goes. Uh, Aaron lives in the largest city in Germany, packed full of excitingly haired people working in optimistically named startups and drinking a variety of different milks that don't come from no cows. Meanwhile, I reside as far south as you can go in the Bundesrepublik, a land of willing wearers of leather shorts, dialects that can strip the enamel from your teeth and more tractors than you can throw a vice first at. So with this in mind, one reason I really wanted to get Aaron on the show is that we've often talked to each other uh, on Twitter and about uh, the differences between our respective homes. But now we get a chance to talk face to face. So I have a lot of questions about Berlin. I'm hoping you have Mm -hmm. similar queries about Bavaria. So my first question is, is Berlin really as awful as everyone says it is? Oh, Nick. (laughs) 
Berlin is a wonderful city. Everyone seems to hate it. No, well, that's because they haven't hacked it yet. <laughs> um, the great things uh, about living in Berlin, you know, they, they make up for some crap that we really do have to deal with here. So uh, we have absolutely great public transport nightlife, culture, openness. Uh, but visiting the Bogaamt, um, uh, you know, it'll fill you with a sense of existential dread. You have mm-hmm. to book appointments two months in advance to mm-hmm. renew your ID or to register your new apartment. Oddly, despite how unacceptable that frankly is, no political party uh, really made it a centerpiece of their election campaign that we just had in Berlin, which we had to repeat <laughs> mm-hmm. because um, someone had the bright idea of scheduling the Berlin Marathon the same day as the first vote. One thing the CDU, uh, SPD, and FTP really hammered home um, during that campaign uh, was the city's housing shortage. And it is very severe. I won't sugarcoat that. Uh, the government is well short of its house building target of uh, 20,000 homes a year. And those are very, very, very sorely needed in Berlin. Uh, so there's a few, you know, the, the, the old joke is that it's very typish Berlin and nothing works and, and everything else. And, and those are two of the big issues. And sometimes it can feel like either people don't think that these need to be solved or they don't think it's as serious as it is or they just don't think they can. <laughs> so mm. that part of it can be very frustrating. I find it, it kind of funny that a lot of people are attracted to move to Berlin, but it does feel like it's Germany on hard mode. Like it's the biggest city. <laughs> it's not very representative of other parts of the country. It has a sort of creaking infrastructure in certain areas, but it's also really modern in other areas. It attracts obviously the big tech firms and sort of a trend leader like i'll often sort of see something in a berlin newspaper or i I like to read the sort of um, restaurant reviews in berlin Mm -hmm. because you'll often get an example of a type of restaurant that i'll then go right i'm going to count how many months it takes to get down here and usually right. it's between two, two and three years before you'll get like a poke bowl uh, or poke bowl or whatever restaurant in, in Augsburg. Whereas I read a review of it two years ago, it, the first one that opened in Berlin or something like that. You know, you kind of, yeah. I, I find it super, super interesting. Well, we just test everything out for y'all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the testing ground. I think people are like really hard on it and I can't quite work out why, whether it's because it's the capital or whether it's just because people like to complain and uh, engaging their sort of German culture, enjoying a good moan about about their environment? Well, I mean, maybe. But at the same time, and I say this um, as a very uh, proud Berliner who loves loves living um, in Berlin, you know, as you said, it is the capital, mm. <laughs> period. That is the bottom line. It is the capital. It mm. is the largest city in Germany. And as Bavarian politicians like Makazura love to point out, <laughs> for example, uh, it gets a lot of transfer money yeah. um, from uh, the other federal states. And, you know, I don't think it's unfair to expect more when it comes to how it's mm. managed. And I do think that you actually did see some of this come out in in our recent repeat mm-hmm. uh, election. Um, you know, uh, of course, I've seen comments from plenty of people about how, you know, the, the CDU did so well based on, you know, anti-migrant uh, rhetoric, this sort of thing, or a real focus on law and order. 
but um, and and certainly why there you know that that may have accounted for for some voting migration. I do also think that there are um, a sizable number of people who are just really fed mm-hmm. up with stuff not working, and there are you know people who just kind of threw their hands up and and said you know like something's got to change here and this you know left coalition of, of the three left parties has mm-hmm. been in power for six years and everything's gotten worse which is true um, in many respects with respect to just how the city works so uh, I think there's a lot of frustration I mean Berliners also feel that frustration so I mean if I mean yeah sure maybe some other parts of Germany are, are hard on Berlin but I also think that Berliners are also getting to the point where you know mm-hmm. they're also hard on themselves and and they're expecting some things to work better uh, or differently. Um, whether that's going to happen, I mean, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> let's see whether that will actually happen. But the impulse is is certainly there. You'll find out, I guess, on like the twenty eighth of April when the uh, coalition negotiations finish. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's yeah. the proposed date. <laughs> let's see. I mean, Berlin politics is a lovely soap opera as well. You know, like <laughs> we've got a lot of fun stuff <laughs> to offer. Well, I, I think it was you that pointed out to me on twitter and you were like hey be careful with this berlin result because it's not necessarily representative of the entire country and as much as i agree with it i do see elements of of the german disposition because germany as a country is inherently conservative if you look at their voting over its entire history since sort of 1948 Mm -hmm. and it does feel like when we were talking about the um the the law change with regard to citizenship it's like we've got a five-year window of having a a left-leaning government we've got to get as much through as possible because what's going to happen is the cdu will be back in five years and uh, we'll have 10 years of pause mode or 15 years of pause mode while we don't really do anything we talk about it a lot probably do some stuff that doesn't really help and then we'll get another five-year window and i know berlin's slightly different but it does feel like that's kind of what's happened. They're like, you've had your six years, you've done bugger all with it. Let's see what the conservatives can do. And I'm not entirely convinced they're going to do anything that's particularly helpful. Well, no, I just, it, as far as Berlin is concerned, I mean, the, the party that really is the natural governing party of Berlin is the SPD, is the Social Democrats. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. where, you know, the Christian Democrats may be, may be that for the country, uh, certainly, you have a natural governing party, you know, like, oh, okay, we finally have a government that doesn't have the city. We've got only mm-hmm. so much time where we can <laughs> get some stuff in. Mm-hmm. You know, this city, you know, does and has for a bunch of its history really has leaned left. Mm-hmm. So uh, if anything, I think we might even be dealing with, you know, a, an opposite uh, situation where you might have uh, conservatives or even I guess, conservative-leaning social democrats like Francisca Giffey, the current mm-hmm. mayor, who might be looking to <laughs> ram a few things through before uh, we, we mm-hmm. kind of come back to a, a more left-leaning majority. Um, so in some ways, I think Berlin behaves the opposite way that Germany mm-hmm. does um, politically sometimes. And maybe that's one of the reasons why, you know, the, as the old saying goes, <laughs> Berlin is not really Germany. I mean, part of that is also mm-hmm. that Berlin is a much less conservative uh, a city, mm-hmm. you know, play, part of Germany than, than the rest of Germany. And even, I mean, honestly, even the, mm-hmm. you know, this last election really, I had, had a lot to do with local politics and, you know, it wasn't really, mm-hmm. you know, national things weren't really coming into it the same way as, as you would expect other elections 
to do. But I mean, apart from uh, some of the discussions that we certainly saw on New Year's Eve or around New Year's Eve, the Berlin city who actually does tend to often be uh, more liberal than its national counterparts, certainly over, over issues like gay rights or LGBT rights. Right. So you are dealing with a bit of, of, of a different kettle of fish out here in, in so many ways. Or up here, I should say. I mean, you've talked a lot about what well, the positives of Berlin, but like, I often wonder what makes it so different. We've talked a lot about how it is considered different politically, maybe, but mm-hmm. uh, but culturally, that's the thing that I really I get a kick out of. What is it culturally that makes maybe makes Berlin slightly different, or or, or what is mm-hmm. it that you would observe as a difference if when you go to other places, and you're like, ah, that's not how we do it in Berlin. You know, that's this is a weird kind of experience. I think that um, you know Berliners get a, you know they can get a bad reputation for being you know very short to the point. You know, they have a reputation for being some of the rudest people in Germany, um, as we've already kind of discussed. But um, Berliners are also some of the least uptight people that you are going to find in Germany when you, you know, get to know them. The city folk have seen everything. (laughs) The men in leather or rubber Mm -hmm. leaving Bergheim will walk past the old German grandmothers having tea on a Sunday afternoon. And these old German grandmothers do not look up. They don't gawk. They don't do anything. (laughs) Because they've seen it before. (laughs) I love love that about this town. I love how even the old German grandmothers having Sunday tea do not raise an eyebrow at like, Mm -hmm. you know, the men in rubber from Bergheim. That is not, that is not what this town does (laughs) the same way. And I think Mm -hmm. part of uh, what makes Berlin different too is simply size and scale. I've thought about this, you know, where I'm from in Canada, we have Mm -hmm. um, less than half the population of Germany in Canada, but we actually have more cities with populations in excess of a million people. So Germany Mm -hmm. is in many ways, it's a country of small cities, Right. Like if you look at sort of the, you know, the 50 biggest cities in Germany or whatever, like how, you know, if you go to just go to Wikipedia and look up, you know, their estimated populations of the top uh, 50 cities in Germany, many have 100,000 or a little more than 100,000, a couple hundred thousand people. There are only three cities in this country of 83 million people that have more than a million inhabitants. Uh, Those are, of course, Berlin, Hamburg, and Munich. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, sure, we have regions like the Rhine-Ruhr, or we have Mainz and Wiesbaden around Frankfurt. But Berlin, especially when you take it together with Potsdam and the surrounding communities, you know, is really just in a league of its own. It is the true big city. It was also divided for a long time. And some of those divisions are evident um, even today. If you travel to Old West or Old East Berlin, and even election results will come out. And you'll be like, oh, look, Mm -hmm. did the wall fall or not? (laughs) Um, If you look at a map of cities. So it's its own own beast in a beautiful way. I'm remembering that sort of donut-y shaped kind of uh, voting turnout map where it had lots of black areas and the middle was green and Delinka as well. Um, There was a little enclave of Delinka voters there. And the the thing I was finding in Bavaria is when you speak to people, you wouldn't think that the majority vote for the CSU, which is the CDU's sister party, right? They seem quite liberal. All my neighbors seem quite liberal. They seem quite open and friendly. And um, when we talk around politics, that doesn't seem like we have a dramatic difference. But I know just statistically, the vast majority of, if not all my neighbors vote CSU. They're all in the age range. They're all in the... In the right the sort of wealth bracket we're in proper suburbia in bavaria and these are csu voters right i think it was 40 percent 
is where the CSU is polling, which is exactly what they want. They want to be the biggest party and they don't want to have to deal with the crazy Friar Vela, who are honestly some of the most insane people (laughs) I've I've ever not spoken to, thank God, but definitely seen in action giving speeches. So there is that. But when I go to work and I'm at the university, obviously it's a little island of green or like really hard left kind of uh, young people. And to a certain extent, I imagine teachers and lecturers as well and professors the university that i work at is meters away from the convention center where they had the csu convention at the start of the year mm-hmm. the difference was like visual there was people standing at the strassenbahn stop you could see you could just see it like there were a, a certain age and they were wearing very traditional outfits but kind of trendy spotted tradi- from a mile away yeah and then i was like i was like that's weird there's a lot of those people today and then i was like oh right and then uh, it's the CSU conference. And then a group of students walked past, uh, like punk students. One of them had a mohawk. And the look on the on these CSU people's faces was just utter disgust at the students. And I was like, yeah, that's the divide, right? That would never happen in Berlin. You know, even the old grandmothers would be like, oh, kid with mohawk. And then be like, go find something else to do. That's a, that's a good mohawk. That's the best mohawk I've seen today. Yeah. yeah <laughs> there you go. Yes. Yes. One of the other questions I was thinking as I was walking to work uh, the other day, how often do you see tractors in Berlin? Well, yeah, there's the building tractors or equipment and construction bobcats. We have lots of those. But farm tractors, no, no. We don't have that up here the same way. You know, I think that in Berlin, you are more likely to see a destroyed Russian tank than you are to see a tractor. And and this happened. This actually happened a couple yep. of weeks ago on the on the anniversary of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You actually had the curator of uh, the Berlin Story Bunker Museum. Uh, he had been in Kiev uh, or or near Kiev uh, some months prior, and he had uh, found this destroyed Russian tank at the side of the road. And he decided he was going to bring it to Berlin and he was going to park it in front of the Russian embassy. So he did. He had to go through a lot of planning permission, but he did. So. So I've seen precisely one more destroyed tank in Berlin than I've seen a tractor, if that gives you any indication, Nick, of just how likely we are to see farming tractors up here. I saw four the other week, so uh, that, says, that says everything about where I live. There you go, yeah. And not, not, like, yeah. not like they were going somewhere. They were like going from one field to driving down the main street to go to another field. You know, like It's, it's very much the case that it's uh, a very rural part of the country is Bavaria and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mind telling you so yes it's and it, it's proud of that as well too right yeah I mean it's uh, but that's the thing I mean Bavaria gets and uh, fairly uh, in the same way that criticism of Berlin is often sort of fair like it's very conservative um, a lot of people are very opposed to change in any kind of uh, kind of form there is a, an element of closed-mindedness uh, the sense of humor is very different down here. People are a lot more relaxed. They're a lot more, um, definitely more sort of outdoorsy as well. Yeah. And I imagine you've never had to go to a wood and cut down a tree so that you have firewood. That's something that's probably not happened in Berlin. That has, no, that has that has not happened to me, I, I, I will admit. <laughs> My brother-in-law did a, a chainsaw course just two weeks ago. So, of course, yeah, you have to do that in order to legally be allowed wow. to cut down a tree in a forest in Bavaria. A full so, chainsaw course. There you go. Things I learned today. 
I know, yeah, it's not bad. It's been a it's been a blast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Aaron. You've really saved the day by stepping into the breach and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on the co-host again. Sounds like fun. Uh, in the near future, maybe even with uh, Dilly involved. Yeah. So yeah, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to go read all of Aaron's articles on the local.de, and I recommend you do the same. Also, Dilly, get well soon. I hope you feel better. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to help keep this boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis some next time. Cheers!